Hi, and welcome to episode 173 of No Crying in Baseball, the way more Jesus than usual episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey there. You come up with the greatest titles. That's that's a good one. Well, thank you. And I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about Jesus today. How about that? Me too. Me too, as it turns out. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not yeah. in your basement. That That is super sad. Super sad for Super Bowl or Superb Owl, as those of us who aren't huge football fans might think of it. But that that comes from, and I, I looked up the title so I wouldn't fuck it up, What We Do in the Shadows, which I think is a hysterical, hysterical show. So huge shout out to the writers of that for thinking of a superb owl party instead of a Super Bowl party. Because I want to go to a superb owl party, really. Not, not want, now. You're right. That's right. That's right. I want to go to any party right now. But um, if Potty Mouth and I can stay apart on one of like the premier sporting events situations of the year, you can too. Although you'll hear this way after the Super Bowl is over. So I hope you did. I hope you did stay apart, celebrate small, celebrate, you know, a safe place and we'll get them next year. Yeah, exactly. Especially because neither one of us have a team per se in the fight. Although this couple of guys who used to play on the team that I've been a fan of whenever they get into the playoffs, which would be the Patriots, are are in the Super Bowl. So I'm kind of excited about that. And uh, apparently so is Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots and a buddy of our former president. So, you know, maybe not my favorite guy. And he wanted to thank the healthcare workers of Massachusetts, which I think is an admirable thing. But you know what he did to thank them? What did he do? He's letting them fly on the Patriots plane to go watch the Super Bowl in Florida. Wait, wait. He crammed yeah. a lot of healthcare workers close together on in an enclosed airplane and sent them to a sporting event that they'll watch with a lot of other people. I didn't see any reporting of what it looked like in the plane. And we all know how much fresh air there is in a plane. I don't know. It just seems fucked up. I saw like very excited healthcare workers. So power yeah. to them. Maybe they're vaccinated by now. Maybe they were vaccinated right away. So yeah, that's probably the case. Let's go with that because then we can feel better about that. Hey, uh, what are you drinking? You know, I'm actually drinking some homebrew. We found out that the homebrew keg was still had stuff in it. So I'm trying to do my part to uh, empty it. But now that I look at it, I'm seeing a lot of stuff floating. So I'm not I'm not sure. I I don't feel good about that. I'm drinking an eternal optimist, a triple IPA, and I'm drinking it in my Pulaski Yankees koozie. And that's important because we're talking about Yankees today. It's also important because the Pulaski Yankees are no longer the Pulaski Yankees because of all of the minor league baseball upheaval. They just announced their new name. They are now the Pulaski River Turtles. So, um I don't know what I'm going to do with my Yankees thing because we always said they were the only Yankees team we could ever support. And now they don't exist anymore. Well, and you know, I'm bummed out because when we went there, we bought those um, mason jar things thinking that we would be able to go back and get cheap beer refills because that was a deal if you had a Pulaski Yankees mason jar. And now I just have a Yankees mason jar. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I bet I know a couple of people who would appreciate that. I think so. You know, the, the last thing I want to say in our little intro here is a big danke. I don't know how my German is. It's probably pretty shit, shit poor. But but thank you to our German listeners. We found out this morning from our producer, El Jefe, that we are the number one baseball podcast in Germany. Known for his love of the sport. Exactly. <laughs> I find that fascinating. But I'm thinking that a couple of our CPBL friends, friends uh, Panda and Sheng Hung Lin, maybe, maybe got the word out a little bit. So thank you guys for sh- sharing the good news and uh, keep doing it. 
I love that we're very big in Germany. That's awesome. Us and <laughs> David Hasselhoff. Uh, so <laughs> on today's show, oh, Mickey, uh, Trevor Bauer, dreams come true over there. Um, our patron saint of, of this show is moving on to the Reds. We've got boyfriends in the Yankees and the Marlins, and we've got news from the Caribbean series and more winter ball. Woohoo! When you said, oh, oh, Mickey, I had an MTV flashback. Big that, time. that was my hope. I was hoping yeah. you just to break out in song, but I, you know what? Mickey close. Calloway does not deserve our, no. our songs of joy. He does not. No. So Mickey Calloway, um, most recently, up until a few days ago, the pitching coach for the Angels has been accused of lewd behavior by at least five at the time, female journalists. Um, so the Angels very quickly fired him. And investigations are happening. So I appreciate the swift move by the angels. But this has been a long time coming because as investigation has happened around this by other journalists, we've learned that for at least five years and at least three teams, including the Mets and the Cleveland team, Mickey Calloway has been doing this creepy, creepy stuff. I'm curious to know if this came up now because of the Jared Porter thing a few weeks ago. And this is perhaps making it possible for women to speak up in a way they were not able to speak up. A lot of other women journalists have said, yep, I was warned about Mickey Calloway. Yep, I was warned about Mickey Calloway. Somebody called it the worst kept secret in sports that he's a creep and he's uh. going to go after you by email and by text. And he was sending like shirtless selfies and asking for shirtless selfies in return and talking about people's appearance and talking about getting drunk with people and all women, all women. Um, mm. And, you know, none of these women up until just now could do anything about it other than give their, uh, their colleagues a heads up to watch out. So this doesn't happen to you or to, to expect that this is going to come and, you know, here's how to handle it. So his official response, so he's 45, he's married, and he made a point of like saying, oh, yeah, my wife knows about this stuff. What this yeah. stuff is, he referred to this as general allegations, which is weird because the article I read in The Athletic had very specific allegations from very specific people, including screenshots of text exchanges. So, I mean, it's, it's very specific. So he says, and I quote, any relationship in which I was engaged has been consensual, and my conduct was in no way intended to be disrespectful to any woman, women involved. I am married, and my wife has been made aware of these general allegations. I'm wondering if that marriage is going to be on the former column, like the uh, pitching coach job is in the former column. I don't know. I wouldn't be too pleased about that. I, I don't know. I that's such a it's just such a cop out on so many levels. Like, is she really I mean, who knows what she really thinks unless she's spoken out about it? I felt like we we're on instant replay because we did just even though the Jared Porter thing was a little over a week ago, we we spoke about it in the last episode. So it's sort of like we could have just taken those notes, changed the name and then just repeated last week's bullshit. And I think what really gets to me about this, though, is who knows how much of this there is out there. You know, I mean, the, yeah, this probably came out this week because of what happened last week, but how much more is there? And I saw a string on Twitter and I just didn't write it down, but it was a woman journalist basically saying there's so much of this at a lower level, you know, where there, the insinuations aren't quite as blat blatant, but it's just ongoing and that women have just learned to deal with it if you want to keep your sources, right? If right, you want right. to have your connections, they've sort of felt like, 
well, this is just part of the game. And that is some bullshit. I mean, it's just crappy that women reporters have had to put up with this and continue to put up with this for so long. Yeah. Um, I th- believe that the Cleveland team is investigating now. I don't know how effective that will be because that, that was that was like the, the several years ago. That was more the five year ago end of things. But interestingly, there was this throwaway line in one article I read that when he was hired, w- while he was doing during his tenure with the Mets, there was some an allegation that was investigated. Oh, wow. There are no details about what it was and what happened, but he clearly kept his job. Mm-hmm. So there was something. That came about, I think, in 2018. Uh, but that was it. And now now it's hitting the fan. And now I think anybody else out there who's been doing this kind of crap, you've been put on notice. You are no longer getting away with this. And I'm glad about that. I hope so. Yeah. Yep. The number one free agent is now spoken for, surprising a lot of people. The Dodgers are the winners of the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. They have signed Trevor Bauer for three years and $102 million, $40 million in 2021. He's got an opt out, $45 million in 2022 if he stays. And then he's got an opt out at that point too. And this gives him the largest single season salary in Major League Baseball history, which was exactly what he wanted. So um, good on you, Rachel, his his manager. Nice work. And wow. So um, the Dodgers pitching staff is looking pretty scary. Southern California is looking pretty scary in pitching. Yeah, I guess we'll see. You know, there's a lot of I'm I'm just glad that we don't have to be on this watch anymore for this guy. I can't even say his name. I'm just so pissed off about so much about him. And he's so narcissistic. And just the way that this took over baseball Twitter, like there was nothing better to talk about. And fucking Bob Nightingale, who I don't I don't understand how especially it's it seems like a lot of white male reporters have so much clout and they're just racing to be the first one to be officially on the books to say something. And he said, Bauer going to the Mets, you know? And he still has his job and he's still getting paid a shitload and he still has a bazillion fo- followers on And Trevor Twitter. Bauer was the one who corrected him. Oh, <laughs> Trevor Bauer hysterical. responded and said, uh, no, <laughs> actually, no. <laughs> It's it's just crazy. It's so it's so it's so it was so frustrating that Twitter just went into such a tailspin about needing to get this news out and whatever. It's another guy. He's won the side one last year. People have done that before. I'm just like so over Trevor Bauer just because of this media attention stuff. And yeah, maybe his agent is showing new age savviness in doing this social media boost, but. The two of them, it's just his his past with the way he's treated other people online, especially women and especially that young woman that time. There, there's just so much. But what, what I'm actually wondering about is if he's going to get shot in the nuts with a paintball, because apparently a couple of years ago, 2018, he publicly either tweeted or stated that if he ever signed a multi-year deal, he would let this friend shoot him in the nuts by a paintball at 10 feet because his concept was that he would do better in the long run if he did just one-year deals. So this is a multi-year deal. Do we get to see this guy get shot in the nuts? I don't know. I bet we do because you know what? <laughs> like you said, he is he's the master of social media. And mm-hmm. oh my God, look, that's, gonna, that's, that's a viral uh, situation right there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I hope it happens. There you go. There you go. On the sad leavings, um, we're going to talk about Sean Doolittle for just a moment. I know, oh, like, I'm you know, cry. it's, oh my it's God. you know, much this smaller scale, hard. according to the rest of the world. But, you know, Sean Doolittle, 
we refer to as the patron saint of no crying in baseball because he is such a good guy. He's a good pitcher, but he is an activist. He invests deeply in whatever community he's living in, where, you know, whatever wherever the team is. That's where he's based, and he, he's going to make that be his home, and he's going to take care of that community. And he and his wife both, they're going to invest as a family in that community. He's got politics that I agree with. He's not afraid to speak out. He's a good guy. So one quick example of good guy Sean Doolittle leaving to go to the Reds. He had a terrible end of the season. He left with an injury. So kind of like limped off the field for his last appearance at, you know, at Nats Park. Nobody in the stands. We didn't get the ovation that he would absolutely get from Nats fans to say goodbye to him. And he was very sad. He couldn't say goodbye to teammates and say goodbye to staff. He actually hand wrote a giant stack of letters to Nats Park staff, the clubhouse staff, the parking attendants, all the people that he would work with on a daily basis, hand wrote letters and dropped them off at Nats Park to say goodbye personally to all of these people, because that's who he is. We love you, Sean. We wish you well. We're going to miss you. But, you know, I I go to Cincinnati sometimes. And frankly, the city of Cincinnati could use a little shot of lefty activism. So Godspeed, Sean. Well, the, the word out is that the Reds are going to be the next lefty red, I guess, red, <laughs> red <laughs> team, because apparently I didn't realize this last year, the one of the umpires came out as gay. That was uh, Dale Scott. And somehow I totally missed this in 2020. Maybe we talked about it. Maybe I had too much beer that day. But Joey Votto and somebody else whose name I didn't write down from the Reds basically came out supportive. And we know that Sean and his wife, you know, one of the big holes that's going to be left here in D.C. is and they probably won't stop supporting them, but they've been big supporters of Smile, which is the LGBTQ youth um, support network charity here in DC, and they've done a ton of work for them. So it's a it's a cause that he is very close to, and it's good that he's going to have some outspoken teammates where he's going to. And I think that was part of his decision too, is looking to a team that he could click in with. Love to see it. We'll miss you, Sean. Do well. Absolutely. All right, we're going to talk about some other guys. It's that time of the show where we talk about our baseball boyfriends. These are the guys that we pick every week during the offseason, one per team for each of us, because not only are they good on the field, but there is something cool about them. And we had to do the Yankees this week. And that's always like an intense moment for me because I'm looking for a Yankee that I'm going to start sympathizing with and like care about through the season I guess that's good for me. It's it's important to branch out. And uh, my theme for this week, I've been finding these like commonalities the past few weeks, and it happens to be that I'm stealing some Cleveland draft picks. So when I first looked at this, I was like, oh, I should give this to Patty. And then I thought, nah, these guys are cool. I'm going to talk about them. So, so for my Yankee, I am going with Gio, that's Giovanni Urshela, third base, 29 years old. He is from Cartagena, Colombia. And there have been 26 Colombians total who have played in Major League Baseball. And he was actually number 16, which is fascinating because that means a whole bunch have come since then. So I'm thinking that the Colombian baseball is picking up. And that was as of his debut in 2015 that I'll get to in a minute. And last season, there were 11 Colombians playing. So as a kid, I saw an interview with him and it was just sort of like another one that his parents supported him and he played and his brother played and his parents would trade off between each of them to take them to games on the weekend. And he was good. And so his coach brought him to Venezuela to get noticed by a Cleveland scout. 
and he signed with Cleveland in 2008, you know, in the minors for a while, debuted in 2015. And this part is is kind of wild. I mean, the Colombian political situation, not so good. Uh, I think it's it's improving marginally, but his father lost his job because the company he worked for was claiming that they should have gotten 35 percent of the signing bonus because of what they had done to support the family during his upbringing, which just is slimy. And apparently this case is still in a civil suit for the for the father suing against the company because they fired him. Yeah. Wow. So he lost his job and but still, you know, supporting his kid. So he was, you know, in the minors for a while, still playing mostly in the minors, traded Toronto in May of 2018 and quickly flipped over to the Yankees by August of 2018. And actually, the moment that he flipped is another really cute story about it. He was playing for the Buffalo Bisons and they had a doubleheader against the Scranton Wilkes Bar Rough Riders. That's the Yankees minor team. And he found out at the start of the first game of the doubleheader that he had been traded to the team literally on the other side of the field. So he went back into the locker room, got changed, got a new uniform, went on the other side and played the other half of the doubleheader from the other side of the field. So he he was in the minors still when he came into the Yankees, but we know that 2019 was an injury-plagued year, including your guy Miguel Andujar, who had gotten injured and he was on third base in 2019. And so he subbed in then and just absolutely busted out. And so this is one thing that I really love about him. Before that 2019 year, his numbers were pretty low, like a little under average. And then he busts in and bats 314 for the year with an 889 OPS and 21 home runs for the season. Now, the two previous years to that, he had gotten one home run each year and granted playing many fewer games at the major league level, but still from one to 21 is a huge jump. So just that, that knowing that he got his chance and he, and he took off with it, he actually would have been fourth in the AL for average that year, but he was a few plate appearances shy because he had a a groin strain for a while. So he was out. So after 2019, his life kind of changed. I mean, that was just a breakout year to be crazy. And when he went home that winter, all of a sudden he didn't have to pay for anything. Like he'd go out at night and people recognized him all over the place and just kept paying for his dinner. So not so bad. <laughs> he uh, seemed to hold in there too for 2020 and helped the Yankees sweep against his old Cleveland team for the wild card series. I'm glad the Yankees didn't go a lot further, but they did get that win. And he was actually the first Yankees third baseman to have a grand slam against his former team because, yes, there is a stat for everything. In the playoffs, that would be. But even more importantly, he was the first Colombian to get a postseason grand slam. It was actually his second Grand Slam of the season, and his first was against my beloved Red Sox. <clears throat> he uh, he has played for the Colombian team in the World Baseball Classic. He first played with the team when they didn't qualify in 2013, but he was on the roster in 2017. They didn't make it out of the first seed, but you know they're they're getting there, and they didn't do so hot in the Serie de Caribe just now. But that was not with him, so we can't blame blame that on him. He's played some winter ball both in Venezuela and uh, in 2018, actually, in Dominican Republic for Tigres de Lice. 
One uh, interview that I saw was a cute baseball boyfriend thing where he said, I don't like to put this out much. It's not on my social media and I don't talk about it a lot. But in the off season, he does work to support kids in Columbia who can't afford to play baseball. So he's doing something quietly down there to make sure that the game is growing and he's doing his part in it. So I think that's super sweet. And the other thing is he did so that the other thing in the interview was like, well, why not soccer? Because, of course, that's a lot bigger in Colombia. And in fact, he did play soccer. He likes soccer. He was a goalie, but he's a big Real Madrid fan. So our friend um, Alberto will appreciate that. So that's my guy, Urshela. All right. Well, I'm just saying you're not the only one who is taking uh, Cleveland draft picks this hmm. week. I am totally copycatting okay. you all day, right to left here. So all right. my guy for the Yankees, I actually had picked out back in August because, all right. So it's Clinton Frazier, plays right field. He's 26. My mother-in-law is a big Yankees fan. And I will right. say she has many other qualities, but you know, <laughs> I like baseball fans. I would prefer it was less so the Yankees, but there you go. But she means it. She loves Clint Frazier. And partially it's because of his giant red hair. More about the giant red hair later. His nickname is El Rojo. Think Dustin May if Dustin May played for the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. So the second reason was I was like, okay, I remembered I wanted to pick him a lot because, because my mother-in-law really liked him. He's a low-key good dude. He does a lot of good work on a very personal level and doesn't promote it very much. So I had to really dig, but I found wonderful things. And the third thing is because he's actually said, I want Brett Gardner's job. And I want him to have Brett Gardner's job because I oh, dislike yeah. Brett Gardner so much. And Clint Frazier is such a good guy. Yes, please replace him. Replace yeah, him. Yeah, I'll back you on that one. Thank you. Thank you. I think you'd like this guy. I'm, I'm glad you didn't pick him be, um, because <laughs> he does have a lot of things that you would totally like. The first one is just the grooming situation. But anyhow, so he was drafted in the first round in 2013 by Cleveland. He was the first high school position player to go in that in that draft that year. Uh, he had initially uh, signed to play for University of Georgia. He's a Georgia boy. But instead, he went right from high school to the Cleveland team, where he stayed until 2016 in July when he went to the Yankees as part of the trade for a pitcher, Andrew Miller. So he had, while he was in the Cleveland minor league system, he was famous for his giant red curly hair. It was a trademark. And here we go, going to the Yankees. Right. So he, Ouch. you know, it was a big social media thing when he had to cut his hair and he cut it like, you know, as long as he could possibly have it, you know, you could have it like collar length. Right. So he, you know, just cut it to like as long as possible. And then later on, Joe Girardi asked him to cut his hair more because his hair was a distraction. <laughs> And one of the things that was distracting about it was everybody wanted to talk to Joe Girardi about Clint Frazier's hair. And I think he didn't like to interviews going That's that way. Funny. So at one point, Clint Frazier got a haircut every single week just to make sure he was towing the line. So he does tow the line. He is the how much can I get away with and still be within the rules? I want to push this boundary, but I want to be a Yankee for life. I want to stay here. I don't want to make trouble, but I want to not suppress my myself, my individuality. Right. So how far can I go? Where's the line? And can I nudge the line a little bit? So he debuted in um, in 2017. The beginning of 2018, he had a really serious concussion, right? He slammed his head against the, the outfield wall, Ooh. right? And it took him 
more than a year to fully recover. So into the 2019 season, he was not playing up to par and he was getting all this crap, you know, from fans and this and that. And then he finally said, you know what? Every morning I wake up and I feel like I'm hungover from this concussion. It hasn't gone away yet completely. So he said like when it, when it finally went away, he felt like dancing because all of a sudden he felt like Clint again. His head was finally clear again, but it took a year and a half or more for him to feel really good again. So last year, um, the, the shortened 2020 season was his breakout season, right? And he's that guy who goes up and down to fill in for injuries. And as we've said a million times on the Yankees, there's plenty of opportunity. So he mainly filled in for Stanton and Judge when they were when they were out with various injuries. So when he came up in 2020, I was like, okay, maybe this time's for real. We'll see if this time's for real because he was back and forth so many times. So he's really hard hitting. The important thing about this past year was he had a tremendous defensive improvement. He was always like the hitter first, let's stick him in the outfield. But we just want his bat. Last year, they want him as an outfielder. Actually, he was he's in like the, the top 10 outfielders this year of current outfielders because his defense improved so much. He was actually a gold glove finalist in wow. the past season, which was remarkable. Ooh. Because that's not what he was there for before. He was just there for his bat. Um, he just he avoided arbitration. This was his first year. He was arbitration eligible. So he's got a $2.1 million contract for this year. So fine. He's a good player. He's given Brett Gardner a run for his money. That's all good. Let me tell you about the guy. All right. So number one, you know, we always like spin through social media for our boyfriends to look for red flags, right? Like everything sounds good, but what did they retweet about what, mm -hmm. right? He is such a sneakerhead. Oh my God. He's all about... <laughs> shoe wear. He's got this wall of cubbies that's full of shoes, which is kind of hilarious. He There's like stories about him like buying two pairs of identical shoes so we can send one off to get turned into cleats. So we can have one for like street, street wear and one for game wear. He actually dropped a sponsorship from Adidas because he didn't want to be restricted to what, oh, wow. what shoes he could have, what cleats he could have. So again, he's got to play within the uniform rules but there is leeway. I mean, you can have your own cleats. They just need to follow some basic rules. So he's got this whole style thing, right? So he's he has a look. He's got a style. He's not afraid to say, okay, so I love shoes. They're fun. What the <laughs> hell, right? But the thing that we first noticed about him last year, besides the much shorter but still luxurious red hair, was that he was the guy in the Yankees who always wore a mask. Even in the outfield, when he wasn't near anybody else, always had a mask on. Remember, the rules were when you're in the dugout or you're in the, you know, somewhere like not on the field, you had to wear a mask. And he said, you know what? When I'm in the batter's box, there's an umpire, there's a catcher. You know, we got to be careful here. And he made a lot of public statements about it. He got a lot of crap about it from a lot of people. Like, why are you doing this? He was like, you know what? This is not a political statement. This, number one, I want to be a good example because it's the right thing to do. But number two, I want to stay healthy. These guys are dropping like flies. I yeah. want to make the postseason, right? So if I wear the, if wearing this mask, even in the outfield, gets me to the postseason healthy, that's great. And if other people see it and they think, okay, I can do this too, great. That's wonderful. His um, his girlfriend is actually, I think she's studying to be like a physician's assistant. So he's got you know a little bit of healthcare, you know, professional healthcare advice, pretty close at hand. So. This, this stuff, you know, I, I couldn't find like, you know, big splashy charity things, but I was reading deeper and I found out that what, what he does that makes him really generous and cool is he helps people in his hometown. He helps individuals in his hometown. His, um, his mom said, you know, we taught our family to be humble and help people out. I mean, the only thing that makes us difference is our kids are, you know, can hit a ball really well. 
you know, but we're not special. We are lucky. We're not, you know, better than anybody else. And I mean, they've had their ups and downs too. Um, they, you know, it's a two income family. His dad lost his job for like three and a half years, right when he was getting, right when Clint was getting signed as a high school kid. And they didn't oh, tell wow. him because you know, he was off, you know, he went off to the minors. They didn't tell him for almost a year that his dad was out of work. And as soon as he found out, he said he talked to his financial advisor and like sent money to them, like substantial money to get them through. And his parents were like, oh my God, no, you can't. This is, this is yours. You earn this. And he's like, this is what it's for. Right. Mm-hmm. But on a personal, on a non-family related thing, like he will learn of families that there's a car accident and someone is injured or lives are lost or something. And he will show up and he will meet the, the people, the survivors. He will help them with cash, but also build relationships. We keep talking about this, like this, this year's theme, right? Is showing right. up and being there yourself, not just, you know, sending a check or putting your name on something. In one case, this one, he was a high school student at the time, lost his life in a car accident. And he befriended the family and sort of became a big brother to this, this guy's little sister has been like mentoring her and being, you know, apparently like like she texts him more than, you know, because he's like that, like the older brother guy that you can ask things about, you know, instead of when you can't go to your parents for stuff or you're afraid to. So he's got the financial help for folks when he can, but also he wants to build these relationships. He still wants to be that community guy. So I found that really impressive. When I first went to his uh, Twitter Twitter page, I <laughs> I saw that his giant photo there at the top is a cat. It's not him ah. batting or doing a diving catch in the outfield. It's a cat. I'm like, huh, interesting. And then one of his tweets references Kaylee, K-A-Y-L-E-E, which is my family cat's name. And then I realized- crazy. It is crazy, but Kaylee's actually his girlfriend, as it turns out. So. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not his cat. Close, it's not close. that, but there is a cat and there is a girlfriend with the name with the name Kaylee spelled just like my kid's cat. And this guy is really pretty cool. I hope he gets Brett Gardner's job and I hope he keeps doing that stuff that he's doing. Um, you know, the low-key taking care of people around him. I, I'm really impressed with him. I, I honestly I had to do a quick glance when you talked about the hair. So I looked it up just now on Google Images. Oh my God. That is I'm definitely gonna do a little Instagram collage or something because he he rocks it with every look also. There's the the peeking out under the cap look, but then he's got this like the side shave but gorgeous curls on top. Yeah, nice pick. Way better than Brett Gardner hair. <laughs> <laughs> so much. So much. <laughs> All right, we're going to go find Jesus now. <laughs> so we're going to going- Florida to find Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God, that is awful. It's so appropriate, but it's so terrible. And and Miami, of all places, we're finding Jesus in Miami. That's the theme of the week. There we go. We're going to the Marlins, and I am going with Jesus Aguilar, uh, first base, 30 years old. I am looking for the opportunity to get a catcher because I know from past experience with our baseball boyfriend and eventually we do these fantasy leagues. And if I don't have a good backup catcher, I'm kind of screwed. And I saw Jorge Alfaro and I realized, oh, I chose him before, but I chose him and then got like totally screwed because I chose him for the Phillies right before he got traded to the Marlins. And I I saw this like. In, in our notes, when I checked to see, you know, if we've picked these guys before, it was just this fuck traded to the Marlins right next to his name. So I don't get to talk about Jorge anymore, but I do get to talk about Jesus. He is from Maracay, Venezuela. 
And he was signed in 07. So he's actually like super close to Urshela as far as like their path and their timing and their age. Uh, he spent some time in Akron. They both did. So I think they were ducks. And he debuted in 2014. So he did not also, you know, very similar to what I was just talking about with Gio, did not have much playing time in the majors for his first years. So just a few, 14, 19 games, 15, 7, 16, 9 games. And that 2016, he did not have a hit in nine games. And I think that was part of why they decided to DFA him after that. You know, I feel like in hindsight is everything, right? They didn't give him much of a chance. He didn't have that much play time, but he was out of options and just his rhythm just did not work with what Cleveland needed at the time. But Milwaukee knew what was good and they claimed him off waivers right away in February of 2017. And he proceeded to like make his place in Milwaukee and he became very beloved to, to the Milwaukee fans. He crushed it in spring training that year, made the opening day roster for the first time and platooned with Eric Thames, Thames, our, our, our buddy at first base. And they are both, very solid men. Like they are. are, So I'm not saying that in a negative way by any means. They are large, but they are. I know. I know you mean it in a good way. Muscular, solid men. And the the picture that just cracked me up was two of his teammates that that year, Zach Davies and Orlando Arcia, wore Aguila's pants together, one of them in each leg. So, So like, and Eric Thames took the photo. So that's that's fantastic. So unfortunately, Thames got hurt in 2018. So here's another, like, actually, I have another theme. Like, the guy gets hurt and you fill in. And that was his breakout year. It was 2018. And uh, interestingly, one of his, you know, ba- spotlight games was when he turned an 0-2 count into a 13-pitch walk-off home run against... The Marlins, his future team, when he was playing for the Brewers, this is. And his two-strike hitting was a thing. 17 of the 35 home runs that he hit in 2018, so not bad there, were on two strikes. So that's a serious boy, baseball boyfriend characteristic, you know, that sure, tenacity yeah. to go at it with two strikes on you. And because he did so well that year, they, he was in that vote that um, – that, vote that they do to, to get that last guy on the all-star team. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the campaign was, we believe in Jesus. So something that we can all get behind. I remember that. Yeah. And, and he won and he even played in the home run derby. So power to him. The other thing that I just wanted to spotlight for a moment because of my distaste for Manny Machado that I've been trying to deal with, but now this is kind of making me go back to the more distasteful part because I looked at the play like in slow motion over and over this week, Machado was actually fined for dragging his leg into Aguilar's leg running to first base. And this was a big, you know, benches clearing kerfuffle when it happened. And it was in the uh, 2018 NLCS and, and your Brewers boyfriend, Christian Yelich came to Aguilar's defense big time and said on camera that it was a dirty play by a dirty player. Like that's Ouch. the part that yep. got me. Like he's labeling Machado as a dirty, dirty player. And Travis Shaw 
also said something very similar. Aguilar, you know, sort of like in the Dustin Pedroia, who I know I talk about in a sec, theme sort of forgave him. And and literally a couple plays later, they were hugging at first base. So they must have some sort of relationship there. But it was a shit play. It was an absolute shit play because Aguilar's foot was on the bag like a first baseman's foot is on the bag, you know, on the inside of the bag, stretching out. And there is no fucking reason for you to run and hit. It just blows my mind. Why would you have to hit that leg? You, You really don't need to do that. So fuck that. And also a little time to take a minute to shout out to Dustin Pedroia, who, since we last recorded, announced his retirement after 14 years of being a fantastic Red Sox player that people forget that he was AL MVP and then he was Rookie of the Year and that he played a huge role, especially in 2007-2013 World Series. And his career was ended because of a play by that dirty player that we saw when we were in in Baltimore. And Pedroia doesn't mention it by name. He doesn't mention Machado, but there are interviews with him that specifically say, you know, after that play, my knee was never the same. And he's been through so much since then. So my hat gets tipped to good old Dustin Pedroia. I didn't realize that the Brewers have a good guy award. I love that. Like that's that's the baseball boyfriend award, a good guy award. And of course, in 2018, Jesus Aguila won the good guy award. So baseball boyfriend points there. He has played in the winter in Venezuela with the Tigres de Aragua. So in 2018, before that, he had actually been with the Leones de Caracas, but he he specifically, after he made it big, you know, after his 2018 breakout year, he wanted to go back and play with the team in his hometown so that his family could all see him play. So that is super sweet. His worst season was the beginning of 19. He went on a slump with the Brewers and he was traded to Tampa, actually. So he got down to Florida, had some average to decent numbers, but was still DFA'd by Tampa in November. And luckily, Miami picked him up. His average was really solid. It was 261 to 277 between 17 and 20 except for that beginning year with the Brewers. So I don't know. He's got a really good attitude about it. And 20 was another, you know, comeback year when he was with Miami. He had three home runs in his first four games. He led the Marlins in hits over the season with 52 and second with home runs. And right now they brought him back for a one-year contract for next year for $4.35 million. And he, I just saw one quick interview with him asking about what would he do if he couldn't play baseball. And he like came up blank. He's like, I'm going to be with baseball. And someday when I'm not playing anymore, I still want to be involved, like maybe as an agent or something. But I think he just, this is, this is his thing. So yeah, that's my Jesus. <laughs> that's your Jesus. Well, so my Marlins boyfriend is Kim Ang. She's 52. Oh, okay. She's the general manager. Can I do that? I'm allowed to take. Sure. I can't. <laughs> well, really? Well, we. I, I think she's sort of like our our podcast. Yeah. All right. So I, I actually picked yeah. a player. I did. I did. Okay. Pick, I did pick a Jesus. I picked Jesus Sanchez, who's a prospect. Uh, he plays oh, cool. right field. He's 23. He's from the Dominican Republic. I don't have a lot on him, but I just wanted to tell you this story, Potty Mouth, because this story will make you very, very happy. Aww. So, so the sad part is that Jesus grew up very poor. 
a lot of hunger in his family. He he slept at his church sometimes if he knew there was no dinner at home. So he knew that that he would be fed. I mean, very poor, very poor. Obviously, no television. So he didn't watch games at all. So everything he knew about baseball, he learned from his big brother. His big brother was a big fan of David Ortiz. Huh. And so even though Jesus was right-handed, his big brother said, oh, no, you need to bat like Big Poppy." So he Hmm. turned him around and taught him to bat left-handed because that's what you need to do because you need to be like big poppy. So he, you know, had no resources, right? He was not one of these kids that got looped in early to, you know, these academies or, you know, got to these tryouts until he was 15. He hadn't been to any tryouts, which, you know, even that that's a little bit unusual in the Dominican Republic. If you're going to make it, you, you've been scooped up or someone has seen you, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're in the loop already. A friend of the family tracked him down. He was in church with his mom and said, I heard about these tryouts in Santo Domingo. Come on, let's go right now. And he did really well in the tryout. He went for two for two, you know, in the, in the simulation game, he batted from both sides of the plate and he got noticed that got him looped in that got him seen by scouts. So he was signed pretty quickly after in 2014 by the Rays as an international free agent. He was great in the minor leagues. He was the MVP at Class A Charlotte in 2018. He was batting over 300 every year in the minors, having a great time lighting it up. He was traded to Miami in 2019, and he was actually okay with that. First, he's like, what, what can they do that? I mean, can I, <laughs> you know, because these, these young guys yeah. that they don't actually know. And then he was worried. He's like, okay, well, I'm, well, the only thing I know is with the Rays. And then he remembered that he um, had met and was, got to be friends with Sixto um, Sanchez, no relation, because they played in the Dominican Summer League together. And Sixto was in the in the minors of the Marlins, you know, in the, in the franchise then too. And so they started hanging out together and that got him to meet the players, the Marlins. And so he actually did feel much more at home because he had that personal relationship, right? He did play in the 2018 Futures game, which is notable because his team was managed by Big Poppy. Yay. Uh, that, that was sweet? so much fun. Yeah, that yeah. was a great game. So he finally got to meet this guy who apparently his, you know, his batting stance was <laughs> was uh. modeled after, even though he had never seen him, you know, as a kid. And he said that the, the words of wisdom that David Ortiz gave him was, you know, everybody loves you when you're doing well. And you don't find out who your real friends are when you're not, like who stands by you. So he debuted this past August, right, in the, in the shortened 2020 season. And to get ready for it, the guy who gave him a pep talk, that other Jesus, your guy, oh, Jesus Aguilar, said, this is the so game. You, you, Jesus. That's right. So much, so much Jesus. This is the game you've been playing. It's the same game. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. So that game gave, gave him the confidence to go oh, up there. Cool. Um, so he's really known for his bat speed and his power hitting. Um, but even with the pep talk, even with the other Jesus on his side, he had a terrible, terrible season and he got bounced down again. So I, th- I think what we're looking at here is that guy that needs a little more time in the minors because he is doing well in the minors. Last year was weird all around. Mm-hmm. So there is no guarantee he is starting in the 2021 season. But if he can keep that bat going the way it has in the past in the minors, I believe we will see him soon. I hope so, because I love his story. He seems to be a sweet guy. He admits that he's pretty chill. Um, We like those pretty chill guys. And so I'm going to keep my eye out for that other Jesus. You can never have too much Jesus. Yeah, in Miami. 
in, in Miami. Um, hey, so next week we're going to talk about the White Sox who, oh my gosh, they made some moves this season Ooh. and the Cards who made some weird moves this season. So stay tuned for next week's Boyfriend segment. I'm curious to see what the heck we're going to do with that. That'll be super fun. I'm a little sleepy today because I stayed up late to watch the final of the Serie del Caribe. And, you know, folks, there's so much to do in the offseason. Watch Winter Ball. The Serie del Caribe this past week was amazing. And there are so many players from MLB that were involved mightily. So first of all, congratulations to the Aguilas Cibeñas from the Dominican Republic, who are now the reigning champs. And the cool thing is that it was already planned that the Serie del Caribe is going to be in the Dominican Republic next year. So now the champions get to host. They beat Puerto Rico last night, and it was a tough game. Puerto Rico hit the board first, but Johan Camargo got a home run to tie it up, and then the Dominican Republic did not look back and ended up with four to one win over Puerto Rico. Interestingly, the Aguilas Cibeñas, if you'll remember when I talked about the Lidom series, they came back from being down three to one to win their championship. And to go from being down three to one to being Serie de Caribe champions is amazing. So shout out to Infield Fly Girl for pointing that out. An interesting thing that happened, though, in the semifinals, which was an amazing game with the Dominican Republic against Panama. So there are six teams total, right? So two gets get eliminated after the first go around. And then there's four teams for the semifinals. And they they put the the top seed and the bottom seed together. So it was Panama against against the DR. And it was tied 0-0 for much longer than you think it would be with that kind of split through five innings. And then Panama like does a breakout in the sixth inning, strands bases loaded. So like, you know, my heart kind of sunk for them. And even though I was excited, like I've been following the Aguilas for a while, I know them better, but just this underdog thing, I kind of felt like, and plus Jonathan Arauz from the Red Sox is playing for Panama. So I felt very mixed while watching the whole thing. And then thanks to Ronald Guzman, who was the MVP when they were playing in lead on, Uh, They get two runs in the bottom of the sixth, but then Panama doesn't give up and they tie it back up in the seventh. So now it's tied two to two going into the ninth inning. Panama top of the ninth gets a run. And strands, I think they stranded two, but still they're they're up by one going into the bottom of the ninth. So bottom of the ninth, DR is just putting everything into it. And Johan Camargo comes up and there's a guy on, right? So they're down by one. And I'm thinking, shit, that's the winning run at the plate right there. And Camargo is Panamanian. So he's going against his country at this point. He walks and I think, all right, the weight is off of his shoulders because, you know, you could just think that people are going to be pissed at him. And I don't remember the exact series events. Like, I don't even remember who hit the run in, but... The run came in, and because Camargo was on first, there was another guy on second. The, the, that guy scored the tying run. This was all in the same play. But when Camargo crossed the plate, that was the winning walk-off. Like, that was the walk-off moment for the DR. And, of course, he's super excited. Not overexcited, but it was a typical, like, just crazy happy face, screaming, running into the field. And apparently he got a lot of shit from Panamanians who are like, he was a traitor. 
Yes. Cater to the homeland. Exactly. Exactly. And too much celebration. And in a very like Fernando Tatis kind of way, he apologized, even though he was not wrong, just like Tatis was not wrong with his, you know, enthusiasm. He apologized because he's a nice guy, you know, and and even the Federalist de Chiriqui came back and said that, you know, they understand and he was just celebrating and all that. So in the actual final, it was kind of poetic because uh, Camargo tied it up like it was because it was his home run that tied it up. And when he crossed the plate that time, he celebrated again. So he did remember how to celebrate crossing the plate. Uh, let's see other interesting things about that Jumbo Diaz. We talked about last week that he missed the first flight over. He was on the Dominican team because of a false, apparently COVID oh, interesting. Uh, COVID test. And so uh-huh. he went, he got there though. So he missed, I think the first game, but he played a key role in he's an eighth inning dude. And he was great in both the semifinals and in the finals. So it's kind of, it's nice that he actually got to make it and that COVID did not get in his way. You know, lots of other folks in there in the lineup, Robinson Cano made a big deal, Ronald Guzman, Jonathan Villar, who's still looking for a home and there's rumors out there, but hopefully he'll get placed. But also Juan Lagares was amazing in both the, the DR playoffs and the Serie del Caribe right at the end gets a call from the angels. So it's nice ah, to see that these right. guys are getting noticed. So I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss watching Dominican ball and Venezuelan ball. And, but you know, it's another year. I can look forward to next year. There is a little bit more baseball to watch this week though. If you, if you need that something to keep you going until whenever MLB is going to start, the Australian baseball league is going into their finals. I don't understand. I don't understand how they're doing this. So Sydney blue Sox. Get this. So their record is shit. Where did I five and eight? So you add that up and you get what 13 games. Did I do my math? Okay. You're beautiful. So, but the Melbourne Aces are going into the playoffs with a 19 and eight record. (laughs) So it's like apples and oranges. And somehow they like because COVID fucked things up, like all the teams are coming in with different amounts of games played. So who the fuck knows? All I know is that some of the games might actually be watchable at our time because some are going to be at like 1 and 3 p.m. there, which is going to be like evening time here. I don't know. I did the math somewhere. But if you want to watch baseball this week, check the ABL. The other thing that I'm wondering if we'll be able to see is part of their schedule shows women's baseball. Hooray. Yeah. So I I don't have deets for you right now, but check show notes. Maybe I'll figure it out. But I want to watch a little bit more baseball this week. But still, fuck sports flick. They're still advertising Manny. He is back home in the Dominican Republic. He is nowhere near the Sydney Blue Sox. His face is still on their page. Crazy, crazy. Hey, a quick little insertion of cross-training. Remember how excited we were that the NWHL was going to be on national television for their their Isabel Cup semifinals and finals? The Uh. entire freaking thing got canceled. First, the Riveters, my favorite team, pulled out because of COVID, and then another Mm -hmm. team pulled out, and then days later, the entire rest of the season was canceled because of COVID. And okay, so I learned this over beer and a fire pit, and I haven't fact checked, but there was an interesting conversation about why 
COVID is affecting hockey so seriously, even when other precautions are taken compared to say basketball, when you're right up in each other's faces, right? Without all the stuff on your body. Apparently it has to do with in a humid area. Apparently the humidity catches whatever is in the air and drops it to the ground. But in the super dry ice rink, if there's stuff in the air, it stays in the air and you're apparently, you know, they're, they're enclosed, right? There's no open air. You're in, you're in an arena and a, that is what I was told over beer. Please fact check this <laughs> over beer, over fire. There might've been a couple of sips of limoncello in there. It was a lovely evening, but I found that fascinating. But the downside is the first friggin' time the NWHL was going to be on national television. They had to be canceled because of COVID. So I'm sad about that for sure. Right now, it looks like the MLB season is going to start on time. Here's what happened. The uh, MLB submitted a proposed delaying the season an entire month. And the players union, the players association turned that down because it didn't seem like there were guarantees about getting paid in any regular way. It didn't seem like it was checking all those boxes. And if the players association does not have to respond, they don't have to give a counter proposal because there is a regular regular season planned. And if they do nothing, that's what happens. That's where we are now, unless something new comes up as a new proposal that makes sense to everybody. It, it, apparently, both the league and the players union have been in touch with Biden's uh, White House to talk through protocols separately, not together. I don't know what effect that has, but that's where we are. So we may or may not be have pictures and recording and uh, reporting in like, I don't know, a week, week and a half. Yikes. All right. No countdown until further notice. That's what that means. That's right. That's right. So in the meantime, um, watch a little baseball if you'd like to. I hear there's another sporting event that's starting now that we're going to go watch any second now. Please feel free to listen to some past episodes or tell your friends about this podcast. If you think they'd like to hear us talk about baseball, find us on social media. Hang out with us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram at No Crying in B-Ball. We hope you're not at a Super Bowl party unless it's with your immediate pod and you're wearing your masks and you're washing your hands and you're keeping your distance. You're fighting the man. You're getting the vaccine when it's your turn. And until next time, say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth. No belching, no belching, belching is bad.